So you're not, you're not tired of Job yet, are you? That was really weak. Well, if you are, I'm sorry, because we're not done. We gotta, we gotta wait. We're going to Easter, if you're worried about it. We're going to close Job on Easter. Uh, and so uh, this morning, um, I'm going to kind of uh, approach Job from the beginning uh, and, and just kind of remind some of you were there when we preached the first message. Uh, Job, the book, has two bookends to it. When you see this, it unravels the whole book. If you miss this, you miss the message. Job starts in chapter 1 with making sacrifices for his children. Job ends in chapter 42 with making sacrifices for his friends. In between, if you make the sign of the cross, Job with his children, Job with his friends, in between the suffering, the affliction, the darkness, the anguish, is the mystery of the cross. If you miss the cross, you will not understand Job. If you miss that he is a, 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 a forerunner, a picture of the Lord Jesus. Now, he didn't know that. Made it a lot easier. If he'd said, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm following Jesus and I'm going to be a picture of Jesus and, and this is how you endure and suffer and go through heartache and hard times and feel abandoned by God and, and your friends reject you and you got nobody left. Job didn't know that, but he had some intuitive, prophetic things in him. You know, God loves to share his secrets with his children, especially those that are walking in dark places. If you go through a hard time and you press into Jesus, he'll whisper secrets to you. Now, I'm not talking about who the Antichrist is going to be, and, you know, that's not, I don't want to know. How would you want to know that? I don't want to know that. I don't care. I want to know who Jesus is. I want him to whisper to me about his heart, his affections. His... So Job, let's just start back with me, if you will. He's being introduced. Chapter 1, the writer Job. Now remember, Job was lived probably between Abraham and Moses. So before God gave the Ten Commandments, before he, he made an official form of worship and how to sacrifice and where to sacrifice and the altars and all the priests and all. Before that, God was still worshiped, which is so intriguing to me. Like one of my favorite characters, Job could have lived between Abraham and Moses, but Abraham had a character that comes at him like a comet. He just, whoosh, he shoots out of, the, out of the sky. We don't know where he comes from. It says he's the king of Salem. Some think, well, that's Jerusalem, the king of... He's a king. He's also a priest. He's a mystery. He comes to Abraham after a, the first war in the Bible, and Abraham wins the war, and he comes to Abraham to minister to him. And Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. And, and, and Melchizedek gives him bread and wine, which you, you, it's, just, it's just you can't miss the picture, the foretaste of of what Jesus would offer in his body and blood, which the Bible and the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says Jesus comes from this mysterious figure's bloodline, which we don't know where he came from, what his ancestry was. We just know Jesus is in his lineage as a priest. He's a different kind. So he comes, so somebody had to come to Job. Somebody ministered to Job 
Someone discipled Job. Someone had to train. Job didn't just wake up one day in the middle of paganism. People were sacrificing their children to make their gods happy. And Job is a God-fearing God of the Hebrews, of the one true God. So chapter 5, it's speaking about just his character. I just want to remind you, verse 4, of, I mean, excuse me, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 4. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes. They would invite their three sisters, so there were ten children. They'd eat and drink, and when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would offer a sacrifice, a burnt offering, which is Bible language, Old Testament language of the people of God that offered a sacrifice that, that ascended to God as an aroma. It's like, it's like riding by, you know, Rib City. And I just go, honey, I can, I can smell it before I'm two blocks away. I'm like a hound dog on a, on a rabbit trail. I can smell barbecue. It's just, it's like a sweet, uh, you know, and God's a meat eater. Let me just help you. He likes meat. I know in the garden they ate vegetables. And after the sin, the fall, they started eating meat. And you got to get it all in now because probably new heavens, new earth, we're not going to be eating meat. So I'm going to, I'm just got to get it in because you're not going to kill things. Things aren't going to die. So, but things died in the Old Testament after the fall. We'll talk about that. Okay. Is it lunchtime yet, honey? No. Is that food truck got anything in it? But I'll take some more of those grits. Man, they were good. Oh, my gosh. Don't eat grits naked. Those of you from up north, let me help you. Let me love on you just a minute. Grits are never meant to be eaten alone. You mix them. They're, they're like ice cream on apple pie. You put grits on eggs. You mix in the bacon or sausage or whatever else you're having. And it, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it just, you've got to learn to eat grits. All right, back to, the, back to Job. So Job sacrifices for each of his kids. And he says, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this is Job's, I love this phrase, his regular custom. His kids knew dad's watch. Job is acting like a priest to his family. You know he didn't just sacrifice for his kids. He sacrificed for Mrs. Job and for himself. He had an understanding that his sacrifice was representing them. That sacrifice took their place. That sacrifice was in a releasing of God's grace on his family. In a sense, Job is having God wrap his arms around his children in a, in a priestly prayer. He didn't just kill the ten animals for one for each child and then Mrs. Job and himself. He prayed. He wept. God, my children, may this sacrifice arise. It's worship. This is, this is now, how does he get in any, does it again at the end of the book by God's orders? Where does he get this from? Where it's not the culture around him, they're not sacrificing like Job is. They're not believing in grace. They're, they're trying to appease an angry God. Job is worshiping a holy God. There's a big difference. Job's not trying to get God to like him. God loves Job. He knows this. Somebody's discipled Job. I don't know who. There's the, 
the, the, the oral tradition of the, of the Hebrews. He knew the story of the Garden of Eden. He had to have. He knew the story that when, here's a trivia question, most of you are going to fail it. How many animals, not total, but individual for each kind, how many did Moses, uh, Moses, <laughs> as the good book says, <laughs> how, that's out of Fiddler on the Roof if you didn't catch that, but some of you just aren't cool. I just can't help it. Everything in me wants to break into a song right now. I'd have to have someone come up and help me. Who can really do it? So how many of each kind of animals? Who thinks they know? Hold up your hand if you want to embarrass yourself. Come on. How many? Wrong. Everybody, how many of y'all thought too? So she won't feel guilty. The rest of you are lying. Liars, liars. Who, th who thinks you know the number? Let me see a hand. Okay. Yes, sir. You're guessing now. Y'all are just guessing. God told Noah two of every kind of unclean animal. Seven of the clean animals. Now, that doesn't mean clean as in they lick themselves better. That means clean as in they're not a, they're, 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 how do you describe that? It'd go all that. Just move on. They're not pigs. Let's say that. Two pigs, two pigs, seven sheep. That's the best way I can tell you. You can figure out the unclean. Because the first thing, and this is what God tells him, first thing Noah does after the flood, he gets out of the boat. He does what they've done throughout the beginning from the garden. He kills those that survived the flood, died in the fire of the altar of worshiping God. God made provision for himself that those animals are going to die in sacrifice of his children worshiping. So Job stands in a history. And I want you to kind of feel, I want to go back and, and rewind the history he's standing in because we stand in that history. So go back with me to, to the garden. Genesis. Adam and Eve, they, they're put in the garden. They're made in God's image. It's true story. I'm, I'm, I have no problem. It's literal. It's true. God didn't, you know, I'm going off on all that. It's creation. God made man and woman equally in his image. They, the serpent gets in the deal. He, he gets them to sin, disobey God. They hide from God. They cover their nakedness, and God is confronting them. He calls Adam out and says, because you did this, blah, 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 and he tells the woman, and he tells the serpent. Now, this is God announcing. This is, the, to me, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. This is God's love enacted in a promise, a prophecy that explains the history of redemption in the Bible. Chapter 3, verse 15, God says to the serpent, I will put enmity or war between you and the woman. And ladies, if you study history and you wonder why women are oppressed, this is why. Satan, he hates men but he really hates women. He oppresses them. That's why churches that oppress women in any form in the sense of, well, we want to go back to the curse in the garden, and we want to get, you know. No, you go back to original creation. God never made a woman to be subservient to a man. They were meant to rule together as heirs together of the grace of life. They're meant to be co-regents 
over the earth, and sin gets in there and messes it all up. All right, so God says, I'm going to put, we're starting, to, you, you, we're on, it's on. It's on. My seed against yours. There's a war going on. In verse 15, he says, between you and the woman, between your offspring or seed and hers. Satan has a seed of darkness. You see it in the next chapter where the first two children, Cain and Abel, go to worship, and Cain worships God in compromise, without faith. Abel brings God a sacrifice. Now, we'll see in a minute how he knew to do that. And Cain thought he'd give God what he wanted to give God, and then he was jealous because God smelled, smiled on the offering of Abel. And you have the first murder in the Bible is between two brothers over worship. Funny how that hasn't changed. So God says there's, there's a war going on between two seeds. Now, ultimately, the seed is Jesus. From a woman's womb came the Savior. This is why the womb has been hated. That's why when, when there was a sense of a deliverer coming from this promise, when Moses was in Egypt before he was born, they knew of this story. They knew of the promise. And so when babies were born and then someone started the rumor, the Redeemer's coming. Pharaoh says, kill them. Kill all the male children. Killed them all, except one, baby Moses. You know the story. That was the seed. There have been many deliverers, including Job, that, that follow in this Esther and Rahab and, and every, the, 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 the children of God throughout history have entered into a conflict because of this right here. There's a history to redemption that we join into when we come to Christ. Job entered this conflict. He didn't know it. He didn't realize that his soul became the battleground of heaven and hell. He didn't know that. He just knew he was under siege. He thought it was all from God. He didn't know. You know, I love the sense that we stand in history. This church didn't just get here. And some of you have come in of recent, and we're happy. But there's been blood, sweat, and tears. We've had many key members die, go to be with Jesus, that sacrificed and gave so we could have this building. And, and, but you know, I love, my wife and I and some friends went to a movie this week that I'm, I rarely recommend a movie unless it's really old and has John Wayne in it. But I, I, I just, this, this uh, you go, so I'll give you an assignment. Take a date night. Go see the Jesus Revolution. Go see it. And know that you're standing in a river that had a history before it, but out of that river came us. Calvary Chapel, where Chuck Smith has the courage to let the hippies in. I wept when he opened the door to the hippies. No other church would open the door in California, but Chuck opened the door. Many of those hippies that came in in the first wave ended up being vineyard leaders. Where the movie ends... The vineyard is just getting started. So the key figure, Lonnie, goes from Calvary, stirring them up, to stirring up the vineyard. You'll weep. It's, it's, it's the history. You'll learn what, what, you'll start worshiping like this again. 
One way, Jesus. You get that finger up. You learn to use the right finger, you know, at the vineyard. We use the right finger at the vineyard. Someone told me the other day they went and peeled all their FU bumper stickers off their car. And I said, good for you. Good, good for you. That's progress. That gives a pastor hope. I didn't even want to know what they were fu about. I just know that when they pull into the church parking lot, I feel good. They're off the car. So Job, this promise that there's going to be, now look at it, don't, don't miss the end of it. He says, there's war, there's two seeds, and he says, there's going to be wounds. He, Jesus, will crush your head. You'd say, how do I know that? Because it'd take too long to show you from the New Testament, but he's the seed of woman who came, born of a virgin, didn't need a man. He was the redeemer who brought the victory over Satan. As we saw last week in the ending scene where the cross and the, the devil screams in defeat because Jesus gets his heel wounded, but he crushes the head of the serpent. That story is the gospel that Job slipped into unbeknownst to Job. He just knew, I love God, God's been good to me, and I want my kids to follow him. You're in a battle, Job. You don't know it, but you're in this. Now, in this battle, look in verse 21, one of the greatest verses. It's, it's the gospel in the Old Testament uh, before Jesus comes. It says, after Adam and Eve got the word of their rebuke from the Father and the consequences of their sin, God says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And I could spend the rest of the morning on this verse. I love it. Pastor Kim spoke on it at a women's retreat two years ago. We've done it in Africa. But it's, it, it, all, let me just say it this way. These weren't shaggy, crappy garments that God threw on them to cover their nakedness, to carry their shame forward, as some people would teach. This is an ornate, incredibly beautiful father making his daughter a beautiful robe to cover her shame and nakedness. But to do that, the first cry of pain was heard on the planet, and it was a, the death of a sheep. They, animals scream. They don't want to die. They scream. Okay. Rabbits scream when you kill them. Have you ever heard a rabbit scream? It's like a, a frog scream. I heard, I went out a while back and I heard this, ah, ah, ah. I'm like, oh my God, somebody's in trouble. And this snake had this big frog in his mouth and the head of the frog and his two front legs were out going, ah, ah. I just looked at the frog and said, you're going to die. Can't help you. Can't help you. Better say your prayers. Hope you're a froggy right. <laughs> Listen, this cry of the sheep, God had to kill it with his bare hands. This is Jesus being Jesus before Jesus came. This is Jesus being the high priest for Adam and Eve killing and making a garment, covering their nakedness because he was going to fulfill the role in a few thousand years. And in between are people like Job. So I want you to go back with me, and I want to look at two of the just most fantastic passages in the book of Job that speak of this, this intuitive anticipation that he needs a priest. Job chapter 9, let's start there. 
So in this history of redemption, standing in the story, Job sacrifices for his children. He's a priest. He's an intercessor to his children, which what a, every parent, that's our call. But Job needs a priest. And all his friends have abandoned him that could have acted as a priest to him. Who modeled priesthood to Job? I don't know. Maybe his dad was impacted by God always has a people. God always, no matter how dark the days, as you bemoan how dark, it was nothing darker than the, the Haight-Asbury day. It was nothing darker than the, than the Woodstock days where the prophet of the land is Timothy Leary. And what is his message? Turn on, tune out, and drop out or something. That was his message. That's what we were told. There's a little higher message, and kids are going to get it. There's going to be a revolution again. Believe for it. Come on, let's pray for it. Don't be cynical. There's no greater quality in the devil than cynicism. If you're a cynical person, stop it. Go back to Genesis. His seed will crush your head. We're going to win. I don't know. We might get knocked down. You might get your heel bit, but you're gonna, he's going to get his head crushed. You might lose, but Jesus has already won. And we're going to walk in that victory. So we go back to Job, and remember, he's in darkness. He feels God's abandoned him. He thinks it's God attacking him. He doesn't know he's in a conflict. He's in the middle of a battleground. He's ground zero. Satan hates him. Can you imagine that first scene when God says to Satan in chapter 1, he goes, let me ask a question. Have you considered my servant Job? It hit me. The reason Satan got, Job got Satan's attention was his sacrifices. That anything that smells good to Jesus stinks to Satan. And anything that smells good to Satan is a foul odor in the nostrils of a holy God. When Job said, this is for my daughter. I sacrificed to her, Lord, and wash her, cleanse her, release your grace on her. That aroma, God goes, mm, that's my boy. That's my boy. Satan went, I got to get him. I hate the smell of worship. What we did this morning, it put up an aroma. For some of you, it was a sacrifice because you didn't feel like it. You came dragging in here and discouraged, defeated, but you went ahead and worshiped anyway. And you may think, well, my voice isn't all that good. But by the time it gets to Jesus, he goes, that's my daughter. Oh, smell that aroma of her worship. Smell that. And the enemy says, I hate that. I got to stop it. He hates every sacrifice offered to God. He hates it that children have been invested in at the vineyard to be fed a hot meal in the name of Jesus. And there's going to be hope born out of that. He hates that. And let me help you. It's okay that he hates it. Because Jesus is going to crush his head under his feet. Job stands in that. He st we stand in that. When you get baptized today, you stand in that, that conflict that started in the garden that will finish in a new garden, in the new heavens and the new earth, with the cross 
in between. Job cries out in chapter 9. You guys are listening way too slow. So pick it up. Pick it up. All right. Job cries out in chapter 9, verse 32. He's not, he's talking about God. He's not a man like me. Why would he want him to be a man? Because he wants to get near him. He wants him to be smaller. I can't touch him. I can't argue with him. I can't talk to him. I I need you. He's not a man. He's going to be. We're going to talk about that next week. He's not a man like me that I might answer him, that I might confront him, each other as in court. And if only there was someone to be an arbitrator, an umpire, a daysman, a mediator. Remember, Job's been that for his kids. And he just said, I wish I had one for me. An arbitrator between us to lay his hand upon us both. Someone to remove God's rod from me so that the terror would frighten me no more. Then I'd speak up without fear. Job I need a priest. You need a priest. I need a priest. Job intuitively knew that he's not going to find God without a priest. I need help. I need someone to go between us. I need someone to bring God to me. I need someone to bring me to God. I need someone that would pray for me. I need someone that would cry for me. I need someone that gets me. I need someone that feels me. I, I need a priest. Chapter 16, second, amazing very similar cry of Job. There's just this intuitive, prophetic, he doesn't know, but he knows. He doesn't see, but he's, God's whispered some secrets to him. 16 verse 19, even now my witness is in heaven. Who is that Job? Well, some people just say, well, it's God. Yeah, but it's more. He says, my advocate is on high. My mediator, by the one who Defends the, who, who is that Job? Verse 20, my intercessors, my friend. My eyes pour out tears to God on behalf of a man. He, who is that? He pleads with God as a man pleads for his friend. You could just write Jesus. What would Jesus tell Job? Job, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm your priest. I'm coming. I'm going to put a hand on your head, and I'm going to put a hand on the Father's heart, and I'm going to minister to you from the Father's heart. That's what a priest is. Let me just help you. I'm not your priest. Someone has come. I've had several people come up to me and ask if the graphic that we're using in the series is my photo. Was it made? It's painful. I'm hurt. Now, ultimately, I'd like to get there. But I'm a long ways from there. A long ways. And I'm not hurt by it by the fact that I think the guy's, you know, horrible. I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I look at people and I was like, how many fingers have I got? Can you, can, you know. Let me help you here. I'm nobody's priest any more than the person sitting beside you is your priest, if they're a believer. Every believer in the kingdom of God is a priest. And we'll talk about that next week. I'm not, because my wife and I are pastors and leaders, doesn't make us to go between, if you got to get to God, you got to go through us. You're in trouble. If you need to get to God this afternoon, I'll be out by my pool with my phone off. I need God. You better find him some other way. You're not going to get him through me. I told people that years ago. We used to have the old phone, you hang on the wall, hang up. 
We didn't have cell phones. And it would ring. And there'd always be somebody in the church that just wanted, usually get my wife and suck the life out of her. I mean, just suck. You could do. I'm like, hang up. Our dinner's getting cold. And she's just, one lady we found out would call, suck the life out of her, hang up, call the next lady, suck the life out of her, call the next lady, suck the life out of her. Mm. I found the solution. Take the phone off the hook. It was a miracle. No one ever interrupted us. We never got interrupted in our mail. I told our church that. I had this religious came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm really offended at you. I said, you are? What's the matter? He said, you're not accessible. I said, well, you take your phone off the hook. What if I need you? And my little witty, smart alekiness, I said, you might have to call on Jesus. They didn't go, yes, aha. They said several Christian cuss words and walked away. You know Christian cuss words, yeah. Just say the real thing. Might as well, you meant it in your heart. Listen, Job needs somebody. Job needs somebody that can put his hand on him. Touch me. Feel me. See me. Be with me. That's Jesus. Jesus says to Job, I'm coming. I'm coming. Hang on. Hang on to that promise of Genesis that I'm coming as the seed of woman to crush the one that's been crushing you. Job, it's not the father that's been crushing you. It's the accuser of the brethren that's been crushing you. It's not the spirit of God and the friends that spoke to you. It's the spirit of demons and the friends that spoke to you. They spoke wrongly of God. They misrepresented God. He's not attacking you. He's not angry at you. He's sending a priest for you, Job, as you have been a priest. Now, I want to just one verse. We're going to unpack this next week, not this verse, but we're going to go to the priesthood of Jesus. But in Timothy, the last verse, I promise. Last verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. This is what Jesus would say to Job. This is what Jesus did say to Job. There's one God. Job knows that. But there's one mediator between God and men or humans. One, not one plus Jamie, not one plus Mary, not one plus a saint, not one plus whoever you think you've got to go through to get to him. There's one, one bridge, one way, one door, one hope, one savior, one mediator, one priest. There's one mediator between God and men, the man. Say it with me. The man, el hombre. Did I say that right? El hombre. That's better. The man. All man. Skin of skin like ours. And we'll talk about that next week. I love it. I love the incarnation. It's our hope. It's, it's the answer to Job's cries. Jesus came as one of us so that we could be like him. He became like us so he could make us like him. There's one man, and then it calls him Christ Jesus, which is the other way of saying he's the man God. He's the Savior. He's all man. He's all God. And then he says 
He's come, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. Now think about it. Go back to the garden, that first lamb that was slain and cried. Ah! Go back to Abel's sacrifice that was offered to God. Go to Noah's after the ark, all this. Go to Abraham, every altar he builds, every sacrifice. Melchizedek, all the sacrifice. Go to Job, every sacrifice that he made. All of the book of Moses talking about all the sacrifices for different things at different times. Every animal that's ever been slain. Every, every cry that's ever been heard of, 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 of God, where are you? I need a priest is answered in one man, Jesus He's come like us to put his hand on your head when you're crying and to cry with you and his other hand on the Father's heart saying, feel the Father's love in the middle of your grief. He walks with you. He talks with you. He weeps with you. He's your priest. You need a priest. You need a priest that's accessible, that makes God small and approachable. You need a priest that can take you by the hand and say, let's walk together. You don't have to be afraid of him. He's our father. He's my elder brother. He's my priest. In those moments of tears and you're laying in bed and they're filling your ears and you're alone and you're crying out, and where are you, God? He puts his hand on your head. I bless you with the peace of my kingdom. When you've fallen and you've sinned and you've compromised and your shame has got you by the throat and the accuser of the brethren is prosecuting you to the 10th degree, guilty, guilty, guilty. I forgive you. The Father forgives you. I bless you. That's a priest. I need a priest. You need a priest. Jesus is the priest. Job met Jesus at the end of the book. I have no doubts about it. I'll talk to you about that later. So he met God, yeah. He met God in the anticipated coming mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just say this morning, it's a lonely existence without a priest. Someone that's there when no one else is. Someone that gets you when no one else does. Someone that prays when you're not sure anybody's praying. You can hear, if you put your head to his chest, you can hear him crying out for you. The Bible says he forever lives to make intercession for us. He prays. So you get baptized today. We'll put hands on you. Boom, he's got his hand on you saying, I'm pleased, be clean, be cleansed, be filled with the Spirit. Puts one hand on the Father's chest, one hand on yours, says, come Holy Spirit. That'd make me want to get baptized if I hadn't been baptized. I wouldn't care if my clothes got wet. I might take my phone out of my pocket. I might take my watch off. In fact, I'd probably keep the wallet in the pocket because it needs to get baptized with you and take your phone out. Oh, that would be that would be too radical. You know what? The number one thing they say that people that get older, and I'm not there yet, but you know, people that get they say that get older, the number one regret they have is that they didn't take more risk. For some of you, one of the greatest risks you'd ever take is jump off the ledge of religion 
and into the tank of baptism and all in with Jesus and say, I'm going all in. I'm going all in. I didn't bring a change of clothes. Okay. That's what I love about the movie. They just showed up at the beach and started playing their love songs to Jesus. People started, people drove from Texas to get there to say, we want to get baptized. Just shut down the beach with people just coming in the water, finding that priest that says, you're clean, I love you. Embraced by humans that represent him, but knowing that he's embraced you. Let him put his hand on you this morning. Some of you need a touch from him desperately today. We want to give space for that, and then we're going to baptize. So let's stand up together.